Jesus, I pray that as your word is read this morning, and as Strider speaks, you would make Jesus real to our hearts. He is our greatest need. May he become our greatest treasure as we see him revealed in Scripture. For we pray through Christ. Amen. Amen. How are we doing this morning? Yes? yes? We're awake even after the 4th of July last night? I love it. Hey, Amanda, I, we've never done this before, but I need to ask you a question before we begin. Um, would you tell me the sign for pterodactyl? Is, does one exist? I don't think so. Okay, we're going to... a large bird. I want you to think about that because okay. I'm coming back to you in just a second. <laughs> My name's Strider. This morning we're looking at Genesis chapter 18. And uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Um, if you don't have one, that's okay. We've got the um, scriptures both on the screens, and I think for those of you who are uh, worshiping with us online, it should be coming up on your screen. Uh, a special welcome to you, those of you who are uh, tuning in online. Um, something for you to, to note, you're going to need a pen and a piece of paper at the end of this message. Those of you who are here uh, physically in the room, you've got a piece of paper in your study and should have a pen, so you're all set. But if you're watching online, go ahead and grab a pen and a paper as you're getting an extra cup of coffee. Um, this year, we have been walking through the book of Genesis um, and tracing both the story of creation and God's revelation, his revealing of himself uh, to his people. And for the past few months, we've been looking specifically at the story and person of Abraham. And Abraham is a unique uh, and chosen character uh, that plays a significant part in God's story because uh, God shows up and makes a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I am going to bless you, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. God says to Abraham, I'm going to make your name great, as opposed to the people in Genesis 11 that built this tower called Babel, who were seeking to make their own name great. I'm going to do the opposite for you, Abraham. I'm going to make your name great. You'll be a you will be blessed, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. And Abraham's story, much like mine, and uh, I, would, I would venture to guess much like a number of you in this room, Abraham's story is marked with repeated failure. I mean, at one point, Abraham uh, tries to pass his wife off as his sister to another man to keep from being killed. But Abraham's story is also marked not, with repeated, not only with repeated failure, but with God's faithfulness. Because God shows up, and God is the promise keeper. And in spite of Abraham's failings, in spite of his sin, in spite of his unbelief, God is the one who is faithful. And so we've been just living in this story for the past couple of months. And last week, we uh, took a look at the first half of Genesis chapter 18, and in this particular chapter, the Lord shows up in the life of Abraham, and he does something significant. He reminds Abraham of the promise given to him in Genesis chapter 12, and then he says something to be promised at a later date in the future. He says, by this time next year, I'll be back. You and I are going to have another encounter, and when we do, you'll have a son. The same promised son, who I will also use in my story of redemption, he'll be here. You and Sarah, even in your old age, you're going to have a son. And the second thing that happens is what we're going to jump into today, which is Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. 
But before we do that, let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you, your word is living and alive and active, and we pray that um, you would open our eyes and ears and hearts and minds to receive it. Lord, we want an encounter with you. We want an experience with you. We want to know you. Lord, give us a desire to want to know and do what your word says, and help me think and speak clearly, string some thoughts together. Jesus, may your name be praised. May your name be great. May your name be honored and worshiped and glorified this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to read through this passage, and then we're going to come back and kind of take it verse by verse. So Genesis chapter 18, verses six, starting in verse 16, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now I have that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. What, is the number, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned so looking back at verse 16, when the men got up to leave, we learned last week that this is the Lord who shows up in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And when he does show, he, he shows up in the form of three men, two of which are angels. We find in Genesis 19.1 that two of the men are angels and that one of them is the Lord. And what we learned last week is that in this particular passage, when we talk about the Lord, we're actually talking about Jesus himself, that Jesus himself shows up in the life of Abraham. 
Because in John chapter 1, verse 18, it's written, no one has ever seen God, meaning the Father, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So this is Jesus. Keep that in mind as we walk through this passage together. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them. Every time I read walked along, for whatever reason, that just catches my attention because the idea and the reality that you and I are made to walk with God is literally all throughout Scripture. I mean, it's in the very beginning as God created all things and he placed a man and a woman in a garden and he walked with them. We see that in the life of Jesus, taking on flesh, 100% God, 100% man, walking with people in close friendship, intimate relationship with his disciples, walking with them. You know what the story, how the story ends? In the last book, it says that this earth will be restored to the garden it once was. And when that garden comes to earth, those who have faith in Christ will once again walk in solidarity with God, in communion, face to face, in intimate, close in relationship, that there will be no more veil between man and God. So Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, he asked a question, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? This question is really an invitation. My boys and I love collecting um, basketball cards. And uh, it's just something that we've grown to do together. I grew up collecting cards. I told you that story last time. Several of you have reminded me of what I've done. Thank you uh, for, for keeping me humble. Um, but we just, we love collecting cards. We buy them, we sell them, we trade them. We, um, we, we just love it. If, if, if in my house, if I were to say, by the way, in St. Augustine, you can only get basketball cards at one of two places, Target or Walmart. So if I were to say, out loud in my, in my house, shall I tell my family that I have plans to go to Target and Walmart to get basketball cards? What am I really doing? And how are my boys going to react to that statement? They're going to say, Dad, can we go? And when the Lord says this to Abraham, he says it in a way that seemingly he wants Abraham to overhear it. Because there's an invitation, there's an invitation in the question. And that's what we'll discover just a little bit. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham, you are invited to something, and here's what's coming. Verse 18, Abraham will surely become, this is the Lord speaking, a great and powerful nation. Here's the reminder of the promise. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. God continues to show up and remind Abraham who the Lord is, who Abraham is, and what Abraham's purpose is. And I didn't put this in the, in, the, uh, in the slides, but here's a question. Is there margin in your life for the Lord to do the same thing with you? Is there space? Is there time? Uh, are you looking at, interacting with, reading God's word so that God himself can do the same thing in your life? For Abraham will surely become not dependent on Abraham, it's dependent on the Lord, 
Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him. 19. For I have chosen him. This word chosen him is, is incredibly powerful. And let's go ahead and just talk about the elephant in the room, because as we were reading through this story, I'm not sure what your eye was drawn to as we were looking at this passage together. I think, I think if we're willing to admit it, or maybe we're even experiencing it right now, I think our mind and our eye is tend to be drawn towards the fact that God is pronouncing or seemingly about to or considering pronouncing judgment on someone. And the question oftentimes that we may ask is, why would God do that? But let me ask you a question. Which of these two do you find more shocking? That the judge of all the earth, which is what Abraham calls the Lord in this passage, that the judge of all the earth would do what is right, that he would uphold his own law. That's one option. Or is it more shocking that God would choose a criminal out of all the rule-breaking, out of all the lawlessness, out of all the rebellion, that God would say, I choose to have mercy. I don't want us to miss the fact that God is both just and merciful. But this word, choose, for I have chosen him, is significant because this word speaks to God's character and nature and mercy. I have chosen him. And then God says, for two reasons. The first is this, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. God says, I want you to direct your household. It's an invitation and it's also a responsibility. And that word, responsibility, is, um, is just a funny thing. About a month ago, I was woken up from a dead sleep at 6.30 in the morning. And um, it was kind of like I was in a dream, and I wasn't quite sure if this was reality or not, but I hear my wife, Shannon, yelling in our living room. And immediately, I, I just knew her voice, and I knew that this was not like, uh, this is not made up. This is like actual terror. She is screaming, and, and what I hear her screaming is, Lina, no! Lina, Lina, no! We have a dog named Carolina, go Tar Heels, and we call her Lina for short. And apparently what had happened is Shannon had, the dog had scratched at the door, so Shannon had gotten up to let the dog in the backyard. And now she's screaming in the middle of the living room. And so, like, I do this kind of double take, is this really happening? And then I'm like, yes, it's really happening. And so I get up out of the bed, and I turn to the right, and I look down the hallway. Uh, our, our, our house is kind of structured where there's a hall, it goes our bedroom, the kitchen, and then the dining room. And Shannon's, you know, at the dining room just yelling at the dog. And I go, what is going on? And I kid you not, this is what she says. There's a pterodactyl in our backyard and Lina's trying to eat it. And I'm like, how we do? Big bird. Big bird, I like this. More like this. Don't get excited, Gator fans. But I'm, ki I'm, not, ki I'm not kidding you. I look in our backyard, kind of down, and there is this, there's this bird, and, it, and its wingspan is, is larger than my arms. And it's going, whoosh, whoosh, 
And the dog is from, from me to Ed Pertil, maybe a little bit closer. And the dog is like in attack mode. And there's this, there's this stare down. And Shannon, no, don't, no. And so I'm, I'm looking at the thing. The bird is, is big. It's like a, I, I Googled the thing. Like we looked at so many different pictures of ugly pterodactyls to try to find something that looked like it. But it's a combination of like stork, pelican, and like maybe a little bit of buzzard. And the thing is like, you know, it's this tall, huge wings. And I'm not kidding you. That beak is like this long. It is one of the biggest birds I've ever, you know, seen in my entire life. And Shannon takes off running down the steps. And I hear the sliding glass door on our bottom floor fling open. Lina, Lina, get in here. Come in here. Thankfully, of the collar, the dog comes running up the steps, and Shannon comes running behind the dog. And I'm like, what? What is happening? And she goes, yeah, I let the dog out, and all of a sudden, she just started going crazy. And this bird was in our backyard, and it flew up and landed on the fence. And when it did, the dog jumped out, grabbed the bird, and pulled it back into the yard. And now, there's this stare down. So we have this man-eating bird in our backyard, and the dog's trying to kill it. So finally, we get the dog back in, and Shannon's like, I, you know, I don't know what to do. And the bird, the bird, which has been on the ground, decides to fly up and then rest on our back railing. And it is giving us the stank eye. Like, it just hates us and every bit of the Stokes family it can possibly hate right now. And so Shannon's like, the bird's in shock. If we just leave it alone, it'll go away. Nobody, nobody go near it for the next hour. So we walk into the living room. And we watch the news, and we get a cup of coffee, and every you know, few minutes we're looking around. Bird's still there? Yep, he's still staring at me. Don't, don't make eye contact. 30 minutes go by, bird's still there? Yep, okay. 45 minutes, bird's still there? Yep, okay. Hour goes by, bird's still there? Yep, still resting on our back porch. So finally, I'm like, we got to do something. So I go to the pantry, and I get a broomstick. <clears throat> and I make my way, I'll make my way, I open the sliding glass door to the back, back door, and I start going, doom, 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 doom. Bird doesn't flinch. Take a step closer. Doom, 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 doom. Still hadn't moved. Open the screen door. Doesn't move. Doom, 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 doom. A little bit closer. So finally, I decide I'm going to take the thing and I'm just going to hit the railing beside it. And I go boom, boom, like this. And finally, it was enough, I guess, to startle the bird. And it takes, raises up and goes, and then glides from our backyard into the neighbor's backyard. And I'm like, what's my responsibility here? So, so like most of y'all, you know, as you would do, I'm in my pajamas. So I go back inside, and I fix a cup of coffee, and I sit down on my couch, and I say to myself, I'm so glad that bird's not in my backyard anymore. Let that neighbor deal with it. I blew, I don't know, when there's a flesh-eating bird, you know, in your backyard, what is your responsibility as a neighbor? I decided to do nothing about it. The Lord, the Lord shows up, and he says, I choose you, Abraham, because I have, I want to give you a responsibility. Your responsibility is that you will direct your children and your household after you to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And the second reason that God chooses Abraham is this, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Because God wants to tell his story. And anytime we look at scripture, particularly Abraham, yes, it includes him, but this is not Abraham's story. This is God's story. God wants to make his name, his fame, his glory known throughout all the nations. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry, 
against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. This word outcry is used throughout scripture to to denote a cry of victims of oppression, injustice, and cruelty. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. And Ezekiel chapter 16 kind of gives us a little bit more context into some specifics about what the sinfulness and the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities surrounding it actually is. Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50 says this. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Hence the outcry of those experiencing oppression, injustice, cruelty. Verse 50, they were haughty, meaning proud, and did detestable things before me. And therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. And I don't know about you, but as I read that this week, I thought, is this talking about Sodom and Gomorrah or is this talking about the United States in 2020? The outcry, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous Verse 21, that God says, I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. So God, does God need to go down? No. The one who created all things and knows all things does not need to go down in order to discover something. He already knows it. And the reality is, is this isn't the first time that God has gone down. Because even if you back up seven chapters to Genesis 11, he goes down to see what's happening with the Tower of Babel. So what's he doing? Why is he going down? It has something to do with this invitation to Abraham, this question he's asked in verse 17. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Because at the end of verse uh, 21, we get some context as to why God would go down. He says, if not, I will know. And seemingly, this little phrase, if not, seems to suggest that God is trying to make up his mind about something. And this trying to make up his mind about something includes Abraham. Verse 22, the men, angels, turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord, face to face, in solidarity, in communion, in relationship, in friendship with God. Abram Abraham is standing before the Lord. And then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And the word approached in this context is a legal term. Abraham is standing before the Lord, and how do you approach somebody that you're already standing in front of? You, you know, do you take a step forward and now I've approached the Lord? No, this is a legal term, and it means, May I come before the bench? That you, verse 25, are the judge of all the earth, may I come before the bench? Can I present a case to you? And amazingly, God says yes. Because the question that Abraham asks next is the case that he wants to present. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And something in the theology and story and heart of Abraham is happening. Something is beginning to click because up until now, the story of God and his people has worked in reverse. When you think back to Genesis chapter two and three, two people are in a garden. They choose to turn their backs on God and all of eternity is impacted by the sinfulness of two people. 
And then life goes on. And in Genesis chapter 7 and 8, God looks down and says, hey, there's wickedness in all the earth. That, as a matter of fact, I've looked at all their hearts and every inclination of their hearts is evil. And so God makes a decision to, to flood the earth. And the sin and wickedness and the unrighteousness has been enough to drown out the righteousness of the few. The question that Abraham is beginning to wonder is, can the reverse be true? Is the righteousness of some or a few enough to counteract the unrighteousness and the wicked of the many? That is the, uh, the, the case that Abraham is presenting to the judge of all the earth. Verse 24. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Hey God, what if there are 50 people that are trusting in you for their security and salvation, that are believing you at your word to do something about their sinfulness? What if there's 50? Will you really sweep it away, meaning the whole city, matter of fact, five cities, will you sweep it away and not spare the people for the sake of of the 50 righteous people in it? It's a significant question. And the question that Abraham's asking is really, is the righteousness of some or the righteousness of one enough to cover sin? And that's an important question for you and I to determine the answer to as well. Abraham goes on, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. He's calling on God's justice and mercy. Abraham has a relationship with God. He understands God's a just God. He understands that there's a law and that that law has a penalty and that that penalty is death for sinfulness, for rebellion, for returning your back on God, for wanting to do life your own way. Abraham understands that, but he also understands God is merciful because in Genesis 15, 6, Abram believes God, takes him at his word, and because of that, God says, I credit you with my righteousness. And Abraham has security and eternal life from that moment on. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Here's God's answer. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare. That's it. I will spare the whole place for their sake. God's answer to is someone else's righteousness enough to cover our sinfulness is I will spare. And what's seemingly like a conversation like I have between my boys when it comes to dessert, especially things like Skittles and jelly beans. How many Skittles or jelly beans can we have? You can have 10. May I have 12? No, you may have 10. May I have 11? No, you may have 10. May I have 10 and a half? No, you may have 10. Dad, may I have 13? Would you like five? No, I'll take 10. Seemingly <laughs> is one of these conversations between Abraham and the Lord in which they're haggling over kind of the terms of this agreement. But what is really happening in this passage is that 
that Abraham, even though he doesn't have the title of it, even though he hasn't been anointed as one, he is uh, operating as a priest. He is operating as a legal representative on behalf of the people. And he is interceding. He is standing in the gap for. He is standing in between God and five cities. He's operating as a priest. And this, what follows, even though it's a seemingly strange back and forth, is actually the first prayer of intercession in all of Scripture. Because you have a man standing before God, praying for, longing for, hoping for people. Will you spare them? This is the first prayer. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Two interesting words in that phrase, boldness and dust and ashes. Two realities of Abraham. One, God saying, you are righteous, therefore I can be bold. Abraham recognizing I am sinful, and therefore I am dust and ashes and deserving of death. Two things operating within Abraham at one time. We don't have time to jump into this now, but if you, if you want to, if you want to understand what God invites you to as you come before his throne, look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 this week. Not right now, but would love for you to do that. I think you'll find some connections to this same passage. Though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? And the conversation continues. 45, 40, 30, 20, until we get to verse 32. And it says, Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found here? And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, why does Abraham stop at 10? A couple of different thoughts here. Some people believe that Abraham stopped at 10 because that might include Lot and his family. See, his nephew lives in this same city. And his nephew, Lot, has got a wife, two sons, two daughters-in-law, two daughters, maybe some kids in the mix. So maybe around 10 people. That's one idea of why Abraham stops at 10. Tim Keller, another PCA pastor, thinks that maybe as Abraham is counting down he begins to recognize the impossibility of what he's asking. That who in the world would be righteous enough to save an entire city? So Tim Keller asks the question, why didn't Abraham go to one? Why stop at 10? And maybe it's because Abraham's going, I, I don't know if I could find that person. And so the conversation seemingly comes to, to, to drop here. But let me ask you the question. What, what if Abraham had gone to one person? Ten, five, what if only one righteous person could be found? What do you think God's answer would have been? God's answer would have been yes, if you have the right one. If there is one who is righteous enough, the answer to that question is yes, I will spare. And that is is the good news of this story. Here is the gospel. Because the truth is that none of us in this room are righteous. Because of the things we've done and said and thought, and all of us are wicked and rebellious 
and unrighteous. And if we were to stand before the judge in our own strength, and the judge has two determinations, innocence or guilt, we would be pronounced guilty because of what we had done. And the penalty for that would be death. But the good news of Scripture is that there is one who's righteous. His name is Jesus. And by the way, don't forget that Jesus is the one having this conversation with Abraham. How cool is that? That Abraham is, in fact, talking to the one who is credible enough to do exactly what he's asking. And that's what the New Testament continues to express to us over and over and over again. That Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we're reading now. And I love what he has to say to his, to his friend and future disciple, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3. Jesus says it like this, and he proclaims this truth. For God, meaning the Father, so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That Son's name is Jesus. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There is one who is righteous. His name is Jesus. And he says that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, whoever says, I believe that there is a righteous one and that his righteousness is enough to cover my sinfulness, that person will have eternal life. And eternal life includes knowing and being with and walking with Jesus, both now and for all eternity. And Jesus says, if you want eternal life, here's how you get it. Believe. Because whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. <coughs> Excuse me. There was once a time where Abraham's life was marked by repeated failure and sinfulness and wickedness and rebellion. But God himself showed up and interceded. And Abram believed God. And when it did, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Abram was given, was credited righteousness. Not righteousness of his own, but righteousness from the one, the only one who could give it. And that same message continues throughout all of Scripture. Abraham has a story of redemption. Do you have a story like that? If you want to have one, it's offered to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it starts with a recognition that you need help. That on your own, you are not enough to save yourself. And it leads to a belief in the only one who is righteous. And that same righteous one invites you to life, now and forever. Won't you ask the one who has the power to give life to give it to you? And if you have, here's the reality for your life. Because the same thing that's said in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, is true about you. And it's true about me. For I have chosen him for a purpose. So that he, so that you will direct your children and your household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right. And so that the Lord would bring about what he has promised to do. 
so that God would get glory and honor in spite of us and because of us. One of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, Peter, understood this really well, and he wrote in one of his letters this. But you, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people. Sound familiar? A royal priesthood. You have a responsibility and an invitation to intercede for people, to stand in the gap for people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are set apart. You are chosen. God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That that is why God has chosen you if you are in Christ. And just like Abraham stood before the Lord and interceded on behalf of people, he invites and calls us to do the same thing. So here's our action step. We're actually going to do it this morning together. And what I would invite you to is to continue to do this throughout this week, and that when you gather together in small groups this week, and you think about spending a few minutes in, in t- of time in prayer together, that you would intercede and continue to do that for the people that God is placing on your heart and in your life. So our action step this week is just that we would plead for the lost. And um, if you have a study, uh, grab a pen, because we're going to write in it. I want you to open up your study. should be one either nearby you or in your seat. Open it up and find a blank piece of paper. You can either turn to the message notes for today or um, write in on the inside cover. There's a blank page as well. Open it up, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write your name in the middle of it and draw a circle around it like this. <coughs> you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When the pterodactyl flew into my neighbor's yard, I blew my chance at my responsibility. Nice. It's awesome. This morning, I want a chance to redeem that. My neighbor's name is Bill. And um, I have no clue. B- Bill's a nice guy. And they vacation in North Carolina. We talk about that all the time. His grandkids come over and use our basketball goals sometimes. It's awesome. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but I've never had a conversation with Bill about anything spiritual. I have no clue if he knows that God offers himself. I have, I have no clue if Bill knows and understands that God chooses people, that God redeems people, that God spares people, that God saves people. <clears throat> but I hope and I pray that Bill would know that. Who are the people in your household who you work with, that live in your neighborhood, that go to your school, that you play Xbox with, that are like Bill in my life? That maybe, or maybe not, maybe you're unsure of whether they have eternal life, whether they've ever heard this good news. I want you to write their names down on a piece of paper and draw a line between you and them because this is you interceding on behalf of those people. 
If you're watching me, if we're making eye contact right now, go ahead and circle something on your piece of paper. <laughs> I wrote one just as, a, as an example. I would challenge and encourage each of you to write one name down. If there are more than one names, that's, those, that's fine. Maybe, maybe stop at three or four because we don't want this to be too overwhelming for anybody. We're interceding on behalf of people. Jesus takes this a step further. In John 17, the end of his life and ministry, he prays this. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. It's not just for the people who immediately come to mind. I also pray for those who believe in me through their message. So I know that Bill is married and his wife's name is Margaret. And so on my piece of paper, I drew a line from Bill to Margaret. Because my hope is that Bill, if he doesn't already, would believe in Jesus and go from death to life. And that he would join in to the invitation and responsibility of declaring the praises of him who called him out of darkness and into wonderful light. And the first person that he might have an opportunity to do that with is his wife, Margaret. So think about the people that you wrote down. Who might they have an ability to proclaim this to? Write their names down and circle them too. Hopefully you've got something on your piece of paper at this point. Because here's what we're gonna do. Thank you, Jeff Wright. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray for those people. I want you to pray with me. And then when I finish praying, I'm gonna be quiet and I'm gonna give you a chance to pray for the people that you wrote down. And then we're gonna say amen. And all together, we're gonna celebrate the one, the righteous one who intercedes on our behalf. Does that make sense? All right, so keep your piece of paper handy and let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you made a way, that you are the righteous one who offers life and forgiveness to the unrighteous. And I thank you that I'm included in that. Jesus, I, um, I hope and pray that my neighbor Bill would know that same thing, that he would know what a joy it is to walk with you and what security and confidence feels like knowing he has eternal life. And I don't know if he does, but would you send somebody to tell him that? And Jesus, I am willing to be the answer to my own prayer. And I pray that Bill would hear that. And when he does, he'd be so overjoyed that he'd run to tell his wife, Margaret, that she would know and experience that same joy too. And now would you pray for the people that God has placed on your heart? Jesus, it's in your name we pray all this. Amen.